Welcome to the Dutch EdTech Podcast. Weekly interviews with Dutch and European pioneers who work in the EdTech sector and pushing learning innovation forward. Learn about their personal stories, their market knowledge, and the vision around the future of learning. Dutch EdTech brings the EdTech community together through insights, events, and network opportunities to accelerate learning innovation and create a more adaptable society. Powered by the Ministry of Economic Affairs and Social Policy, Marine Train Amsterdam, Grow Tribe, Ethereum, and Startup Amsterdam. Today we have Ewout de Kok as CEO and co-founder from Feedback Fruit in the podcast. Uh, Feedback Fruit is an edtech company from Delft. They went to the Yes Delft incubator. Um, Feedback Fruit co-creates uh, pedagogical tools that drive student engagements and uh, collaboration, uh, uh, mainly for the higher education institutes. So beautiful conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think I can have two hours of conversation with Ewout about all the improvements and opportunities for the higher education market. Uh, we talk about learning analytics, uh, learning solutions, uh, feedback, learning experience, interactive learning experience. So uh, a beautiful conversation and a really smart guy. So I hope you enjoyed. Ewout, Ewout de Kok, thank you very much for being in the podcast, in the Dutch Ad podcast. And... Uh, I really look forward to the conversation um, about getting your uh, to know your background, what you what you're doing, and your motivation to start feedback fruits, uh, but also your your vision and your view and your experience on the whole edtech and the higher education. So welcome thank to you, the Peter. podcast. Yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. Looking very much looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. Perfect. So let's start uh, simple for the people. Uh, can you explain a little bit your background and and um, uh, your background and also how you got started with uh, Feedback Fruit. Yeah, so, well, thank you very much. Yeah, so I'm Ewald Kok, co-founder CEO of Feedback Fruit indeed, and I'm uh, 34 at the moment. So, yeah, my background is, um, can be summarized quickly, uh, uh, I would say, but still young. So I um, studied econometrics at the University of Amsterdam and um, as a bachelor's and sustainable energy technology, which is a master at uh, TU Delft in physics. And um, I learned there that the traditional way of learning and education is is is, um, is going to be disrupted. There's yeah. a big need of, of, of disruption there. So that got me uh, basically to spin off uh, uh, feedback fruit from the TU Delft, uh, and that I've we've been doing from I graduated in 2013, so uh, already for quite some time. We had quite, uh, I think there were three, four years of trying to find product market fit as a company. And then 2016, 17, that's when we really uh, were starting to take off. So I would say that's a, that's a small, uh, a small summary. And what is a fun fact is I was always searching to try to find a, found a company in sustainable energy technology. And I sort of, sort of felt into education, which, yeah. uh, which later made tons of sense, but, uh, that's, yeah. I would say, a bit of background. And, 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 and you, you started in the Yes Delft Incubator, right? 
with any yeah that's correct different. yeah so when, yeah. when we spent spin off in delft first uh, we had this very small tiny office uh, in it was a forgotten room actually at physics where we would work at night and then we would sort of uh, go home at four o'clock and then there would be these weird sounds coming from uh, uh, <laughs> some chambers where they would do some experimenting it was really an interesting interesting start and then indeed we when we grew a bit we, we went to yes delft and they really helped us to go through that product market fit phase yeah oh, perfect yeah we we always need to tell those stories as well of, of those uh, university programs where beautiful companies coming from right so we need to give them some yeah. credits definitely they hey, definitely and, deserve credits yeah That's it's, sure. it, it's a beautiful program hey, um uh, can you maybe explain a little bit what feedback fruit is uh, doing it's a big yeah. organization now but yeah would love to know exactly what you guys do Yes, of course. So Feedback Fruits focuses itself on higher education and trying to improve the learning experience that students receive when they go to study. And the way that we do that is we have a fruit basket full of different fruits, tools, and every specific tool supports a pedagogy which we know works much better in for, for learning. So it's not that these pedagogies are definitely new, that we necessarily invented them ourselves. Often already in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, research has shown that uh, innovative way of, doing, of organizing courses basically could lead to much more student engagement and much more learning. However, organizing these methods at scale is tough for teachers, right? Um, yeah. The ones that are trying this uh, don't have a private life, basically. So this is why only 1% uh, of the teachers are trying to do this. It doesn't scale. And we built the technology in order to support these methods such that these methods can scale within uh, higher educational institutions. And we do this worldwide at the moment. And, and uh, worldwide, how many clients do you have? Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, good question. Well, that's a funny thing that you call them clients, which makes tons of sense. And there's this <laughs> principle here that is principle just for you also to get a bit of a feeling for higher education. We don't refer to them as clients, but we refer to them as partners. There are okay. two reasons for it, I would say. One of the reasons is in higher education, you just find a bit of a uh, resistance against uh, commercial initiatives. That is, I think, a cultural aspect of it. But there's another element to it as well. I think what, when it comes to course design, we are really still at the beginning of the internet. Like the, the, the course designs that we currently support, we, we, so call, we, we sort of call innovative, but just like the first website has ever been called innovative, right? But if you look at it right now, it's terrible. The design yeah. of how websites are done have, has continuously improved and continuously uh, been innovated. And I think that's the same with, with uh, course design. So learning experiences. What we now call innovative is going to be outdated in five to ten years. Uh, ten years time it should be outdated in ten years time. So we should collectively, and this is why we don't refer them only as clients, but we see them as partners as well. Continuously try to push the boundaries together in order to uh, keep improving that course design. But getting to your original questions, like we have, uh, we have, we are now working with over a hundred institutions worldwide. And of course, since we are an innovator, we try to search for these institutions that are front runners because those are also the ones that will tell you how the future looks like, right? So mm -hmm. that will help you at least explore it. 
Um, so you could you should think about names like uh, Wharton Business School in the US, Harvard, MIT. Those are of course are the, the beautiful brand names, but there also are quite some institutions in the US that you won't know, but are actually very innovative when it comes to uh, course design. So that's it's um, sometimes interesting to see that the ones that that have the name sort of are not necessarily the most innovative ones because they are already in a good spot. And the ones that are just below that are the ones that really try to keep innovating. But uh, our main growth uh, in, 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 in institutions is in the US, in Australia, because mm -hmm. in Australia you will find that on average, so if you, it's not necessarily a big market. Well, there are a lot of international students uh, relatively. So the amount of students is, is really big compared to the amount of inhabitants. But if you take the average sort of state of pedagogy in Australia, that is, uh, I, th I think, most advanced in higher education as anywhere in the world. Some Australian institutions that we have now hooked up as well. And of course, here in the Netherlands, because... Um, and why, that, is, why is that in your opinion? In Australia? Well, that's a very good question. I think there's two reasons for it. Uh, one, it's a very distance. I mean, we don't have any idea how big that country is. It's tremendously big. So yeah. bef <laughs> before, before, and but they had to educate everyone, right? It's a Western, uh, it's a Western type of country. So education was always really uh, valued really highly. So they have been experimenting with distance education, which used to go through post, post uh, orders, right? Sending people books, etc. But uh, um, they experimented with that already before anyone, anyone did in the world, that's one. And two, they were able to attract quite some um, Southeast Asian students that went to their universities, which made uh, uh, um, higher education the third export product of Australia. So they had uh, coal first and then uh, iron, and then it was uh, higher ed. So it was always for them also an industry to keep investing in. And that's definitely what you, the results of those investments you'll definitely see. Yeah. Wow. Hey, and um, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I'm always learning. Perfect. So, <laughs> and, and um, um, how did it go to sell to higher education and uh, any learnings there? Was it just going smooth or, or was it in the beginning with the product difficult or how did it go? Internationally or within the Netherlands? No, maybe let's start first in the, in the national and then, or uh, the Netherlands and then maybe international because international is different again uh, yeah. for that company as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so if we take that test, so I, what I elaborated already a bit on is that we have, I think, had a um, um, four to five year really product market fit phase where we tr were trying to find a solution to the problem. So the reason why we started has never changed, right? So the learning experience in higher education, that needs to radically improve. However, how to improve that, that has iterated a, a couple of times. And we did that we, together with the innovators uh, here within the Netherlands, at least the ones that we were in those days. And in those days, it was the TU Delft, clearly. It was Wageningen University. And another one was... Um, uh, the HVA and a specific, actually was a specific person within the HVA that was really pushing uh, innovation as well as University of Utrecht. So with those, the sort of the, the founding uh, members also for from the Dutank that we then developed, we have been working, I think for three to four years to really try to find our product market fit. And 
we started with an app to give feed, allowing students to give feedback to their teachers, right? So we mm -hmm. thought, well, if we would just reduce that feedback cycle, have it so quick that after a, a teacher has given their lecture, they'll be able that night, they'll be able to get the feedback of the students and use it to improve it. Well, that was too radical uh, for the for the culture, so that didn't that that didn't fly. And then the second iteration that we did is we tried to. Uh, this, I myself as students still I was taking part of uh, flipping the classroom uh, yep. method pedagogical uh, learning design so to say and that really worked I really saw a complete different learning experience I saw a complete different behavior of my fellow students there was a lot more uh, in-depth discussions on, on the topic so I thought like oh, wow this works so we started to build technology to support specifically that learning design however only 1% of the, the teachers at that time actually applied that type of learning design. So that didn't scale. And then our third iteration, that was the iteration where we had a hit and that had to do with that modularity approach. Because I think, uh, Peter, this is what we already discussed a bit beforehand, but this is, we are working on a within a transition. So you're continuously yeah. having to tell people and show and actually inspire people about those next steps. And what we did with that modular approach, with that fruit basket full of different fruits, is that we, uh, we, we just look where is that institution in their pedagogical thinking at the moment, or where is that specific teacher? And then we try to facilitate the next step. So we wanna make sure that we don't make that gap too big. We just wanna make sure we really facilitate that, that evolution that a um, uh, higher education needs to go through as quick as possible. So, uh, th and that worked and that really took off. And that's when, well, uh, in the Netherlands now, I think we have 80% of the Dutch higher the universities and 60% uh, of uh, higher, 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 uh, higher applied universities of applied sciences. So uh, it shows that we're able to actually get everyone with us, but you have to, really look at where is someone in someone's thinking and then facilitate that next step. And for that to be able to, to work well, you need to be modular. And that insight just came, it came five years after we started. But the, it was the insight with May, with May which has brought us to the success that we are today. Yeah, and, and, and beautiful to hear this, this whole story. And making the step to go international, was that easier or difficult to... to... Was it different in countries where, where you see difference between the Netherlands accepting a tool and international uh, partners, not clients? Yeah. So this is, I guess, 50% of my job today, uh, Peter, exactly yeah. this element. But uh, I would say, yeah. Uh, so when we were, um, uh, uh, when it was 2017 and we sort of had that big penetration in the Dutch higher ed market, we, had, we were faced with the question, right? What is it we're going to do next? We could, for example, think about growing vertically within the Netherlands, trying to go to K-12 uh, uh, or um, uh, 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 vocational uh, education or even corporate learning within the Netherlands or just scale within higher ed internationally. And the core reason why we chose to do the second was the fact that um, there were quite some inbound institutions coming to, uh, to us. So, so the, the word of mouth started spreading internationally. I mean, higher ed. And so we, get, we got quite some inbound, right? Harvard came to us. Uh, Deakin, which is the most innovative institution in, in Australia, came to us. And we, we took it from there. And what is also interesting, and more arguments to actually go to grow, start grow horizontally, was the fact that higher education is relatively very homogeneous worldwide. It's basically all based on that concept 
uh, right, that anosection model uh, of, of traditional learning has been yeah. scaled worldwide, right? And has been copied everywhere. So the type of problems that people are facing are very similar. So, and we were very much used to it. Um, so this was another reason to, to scale uh, within higher ed. Of course, our ambition is really to help improve learning design wherever learning happens. However, yeah. we think most learning design innovation, although Peter, I think you might, uh, uh, um, you might wanna challenge me here, but at least a lot of it of innovation happens within those niche chambers in these higher educational institutions worldwide. There's a lot of innovation going there because you have a combination of researchers, right? Because often the, 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 as well as, as, as education and people that, that see the gap between a teacher, between the, 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 the young generation of students growing every year, literally every year, there's enough uh, of, uh, of, uh, virtual ground to, uh, um, to, for these researchers to keep innovating. So as long as we keep close to these researchers, they, they can help us understanding where what the future of course design is. So our ambition is to to remain to grow keep growing horizontally within, uh, and I mean that market is also still re really big before we take that next uh, next step. And then I guess when it came to uh, so so that was what made us choose to actually grow internationally. And then what are the challenges when we grew internationally? So basically, what we find that's that's of quite I would say. Um, it's relatively homogeneous, but with, of course, if you zoom in, you'll see the differences. And if you zoom in, the big differences, for example, as I referred already to, to, to Australia. In Australia, we used to we used our Dutch pitch, right? The pitch that we had in the Netherlands, we just copied it uh, at the beginning uh, in, in, to Australia. And with what would cost us a, an hour to explain in the Netherlands, really mm -hmm. in that, that for them it was yeah whatever I, I get this i get this i get this and we were done in five minutes <laughs> and oh, we wow. still had 55 minutes like oh yeah oops and now uh, a sort of uh, yeah so now we have to really step up so this is uh, this is was also one of the indications that they're much further when it comes to pedagogy but this uh, the interesting thing is that is where we can learn a lot right again and i think where we yeah. can learn a lot is when it comes to the pedagogy where higher ed can learn a lot is when it comes to experience design, right? And software companies are often very, should be very good at experience design. And just today, first, just yesterday, we got a testimonial in from uh, one of the uh, universities in Australia that said that those teachers were saying like, yes, that experience design that FiberFoods has, that becomes the new norm. We want all the other tools to actually sort of uh, get to that um, uh, that level. So when it comes to experience design, which was the main added value that we could bring to that market, uh, um, that's where basically uh, we are now being referred to as a trendsetter by some, which is which is interesting. So I would say, uh, but that was the challenge in uh, Australia, really stepping up our game. Mm -hmm. And now what you find in uh, US, for example, yeah, or UK, just to, to mention in an in industry, like there you really, what, what took us an hour to explain in the Netherlands takes us four meetings to explain there. There you'll the find, UK. yes, in the UK. Yeah. In, in the US, it's a bit more uh, diverse, uh, diversified, of course, uh, it's an extremely big country. So you'll find institutions that are a bit more on the level of the Australian ones and institutions mm -hmm. that are, are very uh, much laggers. But um I would say the challenge as well, just some practical challenges. I mean, if there's any other EdTech founders here that are, 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 are listening to this podcast, some tips 
if you're in the early stage, make sure you you take a lot of care if you're in higher education about accessibility, because that was one of we were lucky that MIT already reached out to us in very early when we were doing a complete revamp of our code, because accessibility is such an uh, architectural problem. You have to do that early. So yeah. accessibility, that's a big thing uh, in the US. And of course, uh, privacy and security is a big thing in higher ed in general, meaning that you really have to make, take care about hosting locally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the, there are quite some barriers, I would say, when it comes to um, entering selling to higher education. And one of the good things is SURF here in the Netherlands helped us at least and forced us to already, when we were very small, to already think about those barriers and in, in, in that stage it felt like overhead like i don't even have a product why should i think about where to host it right uh, but yes. the fact that they did that at the beginning when it, at the beginning everything is very uh, fluent right it's easy to change these type of things relatively of course it doesn't feel easy because you're just with three people and it takes two months but it only takes two months right if you do it too late you have to yeah. completely redesign everything and that that's just Terrible. So I would say um, uh, it's these type of architectural things that that, that you have to do right uh, in higher education in general, specifically for the US, it's, it's accessibility that will be, uh, I think, more and more important also in Europe. Um, and the, the good thing is about the GDPR, although it's, it, it's, it's, of course, tough to work with as a small, small company, the fact that made in Europe really does well when it comes to uh, privacy and security, which is relevant in higher ed worldwide. I hope, uh, Peter, that's not a too long answer, but it gives no, no, a bit no, no, of insight. No, no. It, it's, it's beautiful to, to, to hear those kind of things. There's a lot of like <laughs> questions and other stuff that I would like to ask, but um, just for, for, uh, for feedback fruits, what's, what's the future? Where do you want to go? Or... Yeah. yeah, good question. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's for me really clear. Like what I want, I want feedback fruits to become the world, the, the leader in innovative pedagogy worldwide mm -hmm. and the way that we want to do this and actually the leader in course design right because innovative pedagogy is very uh, much correlated with with how you design courses yeah. and the way that we want to do is we first want to become market leader in higher education learn most keep continuously driving that the, the level and the quality of course designs because i think if you don't innovate you'll you'll be out so um, that's, our, that's, that's our first target. Our first target is you have roughly, let's say for us, if we scope down a bit, 12,000 institutions of higher ed worldwide. If we get 75% of them, which is 9,000, that's sort of our, our, our first goal, getting those 9,000 uh, institutions of higher education to join FIBAFOODS and yeah. allow us to actually really, um, our North Star metric, right? So the thing that we, dis we do, everything that we do, we sort of try to optimize for is, uh, meaningful learning activities completed. So for us, it's about yeah. students that have gone through a specific learning experience that was really meaningful to them and contributed uh, to learning outcomes where, uh, that benefit them and society. So that is something that we measure. It's, it's, it's something that's uh, for us really straightforward what it is. Yeah. And that's what we try to optimize for. And, uh, and, and yeah. yeah, may I continue? No, sorry. Yeah, and I would yeah. say, uh, as, 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 as I reflected before, uh, the, the interesting thing about being in EdTech at the moment is mm -hmm. that it's, um, I mean, when, when I started in, in 2013, EdTech 
really was something that everyone advised me not to entrepreneur in, in education in general. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we still so. hear it today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, those people have been sleeping because mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the industry has, in, of course, also mainly due to COVID, has completely gone being the un almost unsexiest industry to be in towards becoming actually a bit more uh, attractive. So, so th that, that is changing. And I very much believe that if you're a true entrepreneur, you don't look at that. You just look at the problem that you want to solve and how big that problem is. And you should not be caring about whether an industry is sexy or not, because no. those are sort of waves uh, right, that that come and go, and then and often when an industry is is is, uh, is being regarded as sexy, you should have already been in there for a long time in order to benefit from that growth. So uh, what I but I, what I want to refer to, I, I guess, is um, the fact that uh, I think more and more people will start realizing how important lifelong learning and learning is towards thriving of our societies, and that that becomes um, uh, yeah that 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 that. We, uh, our companies, so all the edtech companies, as long as you, of course, maintain quality and keep doing well, uh, our success will very much rely on mm -hmm. the growth of um, basically uh, our markets and the growth of people's understanding of the importance of learning. And I, we believe our gamble as feedback foods is that that growth is going to be huge the coming, uh, the coming 20 to 30 years. And that allows us to have an opportunity at least of becoming uh, an, yeah, a new Dutch pride, so to say, right? I mean, the Netherlands has brought forward quite some beautiful uh, uh, multinational companies like uh, Philips, uh, um, well, you, you, you all know them. And I think yeah. there's an opportunity for us to also do this uh, in education. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, uh, beautiful ambition and beautiful direction. Um, what I was wondering, because I was listening now to you is like, you have that the whole feedback, beautiful, uh, yeah, what you say, yeah, the, 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 the fruit basket, of all the, the um, is it also that you, as an organization, want that then, because of all the feedback, that the higher education metrics are going to change because of the feedback you collect? Or is that yeah, that's one step very... too far? Good question. And with the metrics, uh, are, are these sort of the, the, the oh, yeah. outcomes that you mean the KPIs of, of uh, no, universities yeah, uh, or what is it that you refer to? Yeah, for the higher education, and the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, there are certain rules now, in the, let's say in the Netherlands, ah, about higher yeah. education, how we look at quality or uh, number of students graduating or, and you can ask, you yeah, it's a system. And, and if you're going to be a leader, you have maybe also responsibility to say, hey, we yeah. have this feedback. Maybe we should also look at uh, changing uh, certain metrics is how we look at quality <laughs> or how we maybe uh, give money to higher education systems. Uh, so I'm wondering how you see that as an as an as a yeah, and, and a company who provides a service to the higher education, but you will get that kind of feedback where you can say, hey, yeah. maybe we need to. Peter, yeah. thank you very much for this question. <laughs> it, it, uh, this is a bit the, the right question to ask. I think there are three things that I, I want to reflect upon. First yeah. of all, the way that current quality metrics are done in higher ed is one of the yeah. reasons why I started. I didn't yeah. say it, but when I studied econometrics, I was uh, invited to join the accreditation committee of all economic studies at universities in the Netherlands. So I got to see how that quality assurance is done. Well, I don't need to use a lot of words, but one word that I, I think I, I should be using, it's 
ridiculous. It's really yeah. ridiculous. People are working two years to get good reports. We got, I don't know how many reports, and we got a couple of hours to read through them. It was a terrible experience. I, I, I really felt embarrassed being in that committee just because the way that it has been set up has just been set up for failure. So the current way of, 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 of assuring quality in higher education is terrible. It's the reason why we start. That's just one thing that I want, I want to reflect on. Another thing that I think I want to reflect on comes back to that North Star metric, Peter. And that is indeed what you mentioned. Like, if you would say I had the North Star metric approach, if you have, a, you might be familiar with it, but all these new tech companies have this, right? So for example, for YouTube, it's it's amount of uh, time that uh, people view a video, right? And uh, for, yeah. um, Airbnb, it's the amount of night books, et cetera, et cetera. What you'll find is at all these uh, North Star metrics, they are all, um, they are all uh, basically very, uh, what's the word? Uh, so so, so they're, they're all very, um, they don't interpret uh, something. They don't say whether it's a good experience, yes or no, right? And yeah. for us, I, what I just mentioned, one of the innovation that we are trying to do as Feedback Foods, because we refer to ourselves more as just a commercial company, we see ourselves as a company that tries to make impact. Of course, we have our commercial motive, motives and we want to grow and we, we become really successful, but we want to do that through making an actual impact. So this is one of the reasons why we don't, ref why our North Star metric is not just learning activities completed, because... Yeah. That yeah. could be a ter terrible experience no, for machine. It doesn't say anything, no. It doesn't say anything, yeah. no. It says something about the impact and how big you are, but it doesn't say what you, and not how meaningful your impact is, right? Impact can go yeah. go two ways. A, a comet that comes to Earth also has a big impact, but I'm not sure if, if we prefer that type of impact, right? So so impact needs to be meaningful. So, so this is why we refer to it as, as meaningful learning activities completed. And just to give you a bit of insight, it took this took a lot of discussion in the team to define meaningfulness and whether it was not too fake. But I think yeah. you should uh, really try to take that step and accept a bit of losing in clarity because it is so important that what you do is benefiting the students and benefiting society. And then I would say, I get to my third point, and that has to do with the responsibility that if you grow, right? So if we become this world leader, right, in pedagogical design, this is not only a success, this is a, a tremendous amount of responsibility. Yeah. And it's a, because uh, it's a responsibility to, to change for the good. But yeah. what, I, what I like about what I envision about being in that position as a company is the fact that we don't only serve higher education, but we can start teaching higher education, how higher education should be done. You got that, Peter? Because yeah. a lot of institutions still have a sort of arrogancy in them. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that that is really wrong because they talk about the learning experience the, the, of their students, right? And And having students that are completely depressed because because they, 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 they are not motivated, motivated anymore, they dropped out. And internationally, yeah, where they paid a tremendous amount of money to actually be there, their parents yeah. have saved up for them to be successful. And then they go through experience, which is so demotivating that they come in a sort of personal conflict. These things are real. These things are happening. We should really take that serious and we should um, really contribute to, to, to better learning experiences. And I think being in that position, right, uh, taking 75% of, of, of the market, for example, being that market leader in pedagogy also 
one brings a tremendous tons of responsibility to do yep. it right, but two also gives you the ability to start influencing uh, higher ed. Like, hey, wait a minute, you have all next to just delivering students. Yeah, you sh your ambition should be higher. You should be doing much more. And by the way, as an institution in our democracies, right? You are asked to develop these skills where democracies rely, uh, rely on skills like critical thinking, skills like being able to understand governments, although you do not agree with someone's opinion, right? That's so that you can get a dialogue out of things. This is what is a fundamental to the de democratic societies to actually flourish. Institutions should deliver on developing these learning outcomes, developing these skills at students. Yeah. To be honest, I think not a lot succeed at that. So it no. gives you, uh, yeah, just to summarize, it gives you the, the, the ability to actually influence uh, uh, that for the good. And, and, and how do you do it on this moment? And, 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 and do you have some ideas or, or examples where you say, I think it should be like this, or, or we make reports, or how do you... I'm very, very good question, Peter. So, so, so we, we, we founded a company. So, it's not a. It's we, we don't. He officially doesn't have the title uh, founder, but he was our first employee mm -hmm. uh, back in 2013. He still works for, uh, with us, and he is uh, also in the board as a sort of uh, moral compass, right? So, what we do okay. should should be yeah. resulting in something good. And he founded a team called Team Wisdom within Fiberfoot. So we have a sort of team that really thinks through like, okay, what then are these skills that benefit society? What then are how, what learning activities actually contribute to the development of these skills? And what I find shocking, Peter, to be honest, mm -hmm. is that if you look at the literature, the state of literature, when it comes to that specific topic, for example, even when it comes to the definition of wisdom, I think just a, a year ago or two years ago, there was, um, there is some form of consensus. What it's, it's so invested is there's so much to learn. Unfortunately, yeah. I think the first thing that we have to do is is, is not necessarily starting to uh, tell people how it's done, but just starting to find out ourselves, because the yeah. because what what we know. Is, but then, to be honest, I was quite shocked with that. So we are doing a lot of research and trying to, to understand. Like everyone already says, yeah, I'm working in education, so I am doing something good. But if you try to continue yeah. asking the question, then why, and then why, and then why, and then why, you find that the arguments brought forward are not that strong yet. I don't think that's because not necessarily because there there are no strong arguments to be brought forward. I just think that a lot of people use the excuse of I work in education so I do something good for the world and then don't think further. Like I yeah. think we should continue to think further and try to understand exactly how because if we un have that understanding, we can start engineering to make that impact better. And as I said, right, just sorry, um, I might be preaching a bit, but this is something that I really sort of am motivated by. If you see that exponential growth in power, if we just grow our wisdom linearly, then we won't be able to control that power. We have yeah. to make sure our wisdom also grows, grows exponentially. So we truly have to understand how this works. And as a thought experiment, which, which really provokes my thinking in this area, um, the, this, this person that I refer to right in our team, the, 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 the founder member of the wisdom team, he says, what if, I mean, humans didn't write the laws of physics, right? The laws of physics, physics are a given. What if the laws of physics were, the, were such that if you would throw some sand in a microwave, it would generate an atom, atomic explosion? 
then the world probably wouldn't have existed anymore because we didn't have enough wisdom as as a society, as as, as a world population, as humans, to be able to control that amount of power at the moment. So we're happy that it that it, it is not the case. But think about it: how quick technology is going to be iterated and, and going to be sort of uh, uh, improved. There yeah. will be a point in time where a very few amount of people have the ability to do an extreme amount of uh, impact, right? And if we are at that point in time, I mean, we probably won't stop science <laughs> because, no. right, that science is a train that's continuing. We have to be able to be, be yeah. Yeah, and, and, and on this point, yeah, on this point, and I'm, I'm in my head, I have like now a question where, especially with your tool and with feedback and you like uh, finishing learning uh, uh, journeys from people and, and, and make sure that the, the, the meaningful uh, mm -hmm. um, and then we have it about technology and, and change in attack um, um, how quickly can we l learn and and how important is speed now in in learning because has speed have been yeah has speed been in learning where we say it's not only about okay you take four years for higher education to learn mm -hmm. uh, uh, is speed becoming a metrics as well where we say okay maybe we can do it shorter because technology is going so quickly how, how do you is that a discussion you had in the company or how do you look at is certain uh, certain things can we learn it quicker should we learn it quicker or not because some stuff also takes longer just to learn Maybe we should not jump in all the new technologies right away. But maybe we should take a step back. Yeah? Adaptable mindset look yeah. first. So how do you see speed as a metrics and speed as, uh, is that a good thing? Is it not a good thing in the learning experience, but also for society? Should we learn really quick everything or? Yeah. Very good question. Uh, very interesting. So Peter, I think we're, we're both entrepreneurs, right? I think yeah. um, for us, nothing goes too quickly, right? It, everything no. goes too <laughs> slow and our, exactly. our, our ambitions are often much higher than, than what we are able to realize a certain amount of time so i th I, th I think uh, um, the answer there is of course yes it should be quicker however at this stage i think where we are at the moment in time are the main priority for us is better so improving the quality at this point in time uh, yeah. And that is that is the most research that we do at this point in time to really improve the quality of that those learning. This is referred to as sort of deeper learning, right, uh, Peter? Because yeah. what is it that you want to do quick, right? You want to you want to sort of um, uh, get your exam quick, quicker to be able to pass an exam, or do you really want to? Learning sometimes just takes some time, but it's yeah. about how deep that learning goes, which will which will actually impact the value of that learning, right? So I would say taking a, some time for, for a very good learning experience, mm -hmm. understanding for someone to, to, to really embody new skills, to get a new perspective and to really sort of lift themselves. I think we should focus ourselves on, on that experience and making that experience as good as possible, not necessarily as quick as possible for now, Peter. However, yeah. saying that, what I just mentioned, technology and the power that we have as societies is exponentially growing and that goes quicker and quicker and quicker. I think there is a, a big argument to make that the wisdom that we require in order to control that power needs to exponentially quickly grow as well. So there, yeah. those are two sides to it. But as I said, I think considering this, the, the current state of our understanding of what that exactly means, 
we should focus ourselves for now on quality. Yeah, uh, it, it's a really interesting. Um, I like how you look at this. And, and, and it, it, on some areas in society, we don't have the time. Sustainability, global warming, for example, yeah. inclusion, diversity. Uh, and we need to change quicker and we need to change people's mind. And that's maybe a little bit not always higher education. It's more maybe, maybe uh, lifelong learning and workforce transformation. But it it is, an, I'm also, yeah, I, I also see it with Crowdtribe where we, um, uh, 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 behavioral change where we want sometimes uh, want to make sure that the course also change that it's not oh yeah what you learn but are you really changing your behavior uh, sometimes an experience is necessary and that's sometimes not possible in one hour or two hours even if it's the best teacher in the world uh, you need a one day or a two day to get that experience on you ah now i'm going to change and I have to learned almost, and then yeah. and now I'm going to look at the world in a different view, and I'm going to make different decisions. And um, uh, and sometimes you can speed it up, and sometimes not. But I'm also wondering. I don't know. It's a question I don't can answer myself. Sometimes I also think some stuff you cannot learn quicker, and it is about that mm-hmm. impact and and behavioral change and 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 meaningful and quality. Um, yeah, but there is a balance, I think, because. Um, um, uh, the world is speeding up with technology with changes yeah so yeah correct Peter <laughs> but, 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 yeah just just while you're saying this sort of uh, one of the I think uh, ways to think which which shed some light on whether you should go for speed or quality I would say is let's look at someone's life right how many days is someone's life and yeah. true learning how much effect I mean how, the deep learning has effect on all those days yeah. whether it takes two or more days five more days ten more days doesn't that's so small compared to the impact that true learning makes yeah we should really focus ourselves on quality at this stage which is of course peter uh this is interesting right because we share two perspectives your perspective comes a bit more from that corporate learning and where where time is money right where yeah. my perspective comes a bit of higher education where we still live <laughs> higher education in their culture still lives relatively in the past when things were not going that quick so i would say that that's a thing to take into account here but yeah, yeah. It's a completely different market as well and different different goals as well. Yeah. Uh, you said, hey, like a society also learn the skills that are necessary for society, that there is a sort of role at uh, higher education to make sure to do this. And yeah, and, uh, and, uh, yeah definitely. Hey, and um, um, how's EdTech in the Netherlands? How do you see the EdTech landscape? Um, and what should we do in the upcoming, uh, let's say, years? Also with Dutch EdTech as a, as a foundation, uh, which we are now starting. Um, uh, you, you're one of the yeah uh, great examples of an EdTech company, uh, international, uh, going really growing. Uh, Thank going you. Going to get almost nine thousand partners, yeah, or that's the goal. But uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, so. Where's attack in the landscape in the Netherlands and, and what should we do uh, as a sector? Very good question. Yeah. So now I will zoom out of, of, of no, yep. so my perspective as I think has most value in, in higher ed specifically, but I, I so I would address higher ed first, uh, said yep. if that's okay, and then do a okay. bit broader, yeah. uh, broader element. So what I always, uh, when we were talking to, uh, for example, at yes, Delft, right? As a startup incubator, mm-hmm. um, they always asked uh, companies that were a bit further to sort of explain to uh, be a bit of a mentor. So in that role as a mentor, I always explained to people when I reflected on EdTech is like, we had this um, Onderwijsdagen, 
which is a big thing organized by SURF every year where all higher ed comes together. And then you also have the higher educational companies that come, that come there, so the ed tech companies. And what always happened is in the, in the five years that I, that, I, that, I, that I had been there is that I saw a lot of new educational companies every year. But the amount that were also there the next year was probably only 20%. And then the amount of those companies, which were the year after that, those were uh, well, even, even lower. So basically, uh, higher education is very hostile against edtech innovation, unfortunately, Peter. But I think that, it, that, it, that, it is, that that is a conclusion. There is this initiative right from the Versnellingsplan uh, to also focus on the edtech zone. And one of the big things is that they found is the hurdles that uh, higher education has in place for edtech to thrive are just too high. They did an own... Uh, a validation program for startups for two years. Mm -hmm. They run it yeah. by Ruben, who's a great guy, by the way. He did that very well. And I was also mentoring those two, uh, two, uh, two, two, uh, two years when that happened. And the really good companies there pivoted out of higher education, right? So that was, uh, they, they use it as to validate, like, okay, are, are we going to be able to, to do this? And higher education tried to invest in this because they wanted to get more innovation coming from. But the reality was they'll find out this is such a hostile market. I'm out, uh, which was, uh, for, to some extent, sometimes a good experience. So uh, luckily, uh, I think there's quite some work being done at the moment to really try to reduce these barriers for, for, for ad tech companies. And we also, with SURF, are thinking about trying to contribute to reducing those those barriers so that is i think a good initiative but just taking i mean that that is of course a bit of a, a hostile which uh, not, is not a very uh, beautiful bright picture to, to, to show on the yeah. other end i think and that is something that we really got to realize we're in a very good position as the netherlands because made in the netherlands made in europe one but made in the netherlands also is just in attack is something which is of value. So for example, we have now a partnership with Microsoft that we developed quite well. The, the person responsible for, for education, which is directly under the CIO, that person takes looks very closely to the, the innovation that comes from the Netherlands. Like there's a, a, quite some arguments. I mean, the, the, the standard argument, right? High digitalization, open for innovation, but uh, that we have in the Netherlands. But there's also these elements of our educational higher ed, although <laughs> we are quite critical on it, is relatively compared to the world very far. So innovation comes from here. If innovation comes, it, it should it should come from here. That's one. And I think um, there is. Is that, is that, is that uh, should we see that as well in the numbers of like companies and maybe even unicorns in a higher tech versus uh, because um, I don't have that view, and maybe um, that's my lack of uh, the knowledge of the industry, but. Uh, if I compare like ad tech companies in high tech, it's still a lot of, um, uh, yeah, maybe unicorn is not the right uh, metrics, but there's a lot of big companies in America and China, of course, and also some in France. Um, but well, if we look at the unicorns, yeah. right, uh, specifically yeah. in higher education, yeah. you, have you have a couple, not that many, right? It's, it's the yeah. learning management systems. It's... Uh, uh, it's, for example, Turnitin, right, uh, as, as a company. And the thing is, if it, it's, it's a hostile environment to start. But once style, there's yeah. not a lot of competition if you have gone yeah. through it. So if you have gone through it, there is a big opportunity for you to become really big, right? So I think that, that that's true. So what you'll find in higher education, in my opinion, is this gap. So there's a lot of innovation starting also from students, right, that are 
in their education and that's a nice moment to start uh, start entrepreneuring right so so you find a lot of spin-offs however and you uh, but then there's a big gap of, of, of almost nothing relatively uh, not a lot and then the huge companies yeah they have a couple of really really big 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 companies and i think that that's the current state and um uh, yeah what you should also realize they're just 40 University of Higher Education, if you don't take vocational MBO uh, into account, there are only 40 here in the Netherlands. That's not a lot, 40, yeah, no. right? So you have to, if you want to become big, you have to go international if you remain in, in, in higher education quickly. Yeah. And that's the other good thing of the Netherlands is the fact that we are so small, we have to go outside. And whether we go to Australia or the US or UK or Scandinavia, it doesn't actually really matter, right? So all of a sudden, our, from a very small market, we enter a, a very big market at, uh, in one step. So that's another opportunity being, being from the Netherlands. But do I, your question was, do I expect a lot of innovation to happen? Yes, I do. Peter, I expect a lot of, but, but the thing is, I would say uh, what we should be focusing ourselves on is uh, trying to grow big companies because mm-hmm. that remain innovative, right? Because uh, th- those will have a big innovation capacity and there's a, not a lot of innovation that needs to be done and we have to we have to i would say be careful of creating too too much smaller companies right five people yeah. 10 people 20 people that do something nice that get it to a certain level right take that next step but can't make that that step afterwards and afterwards and afterwards yeah we we really have to understand that we are at the beginning of an industry right there is so much innovation that still will come uh, forward and i think that needs to become from reasonable sized companies uh, yeah, to, yeah to really be sustainable i agree you need some innovation on the small startups that's in every sector but after a while you need yeah. those uh, impact yeah perfect hey, uh, i have two more questions because we, are, we have a beautiful conversation and probably we should do a, a part two uh, podcast in like six months <laughs> from now and then uh, uh, have a couple of other topics because I think we can talk for hours uh, about, around this topic together. Um, yes. um, which other people are interesting for this podcast to invite uh, and who have an interesting story or can maybe tell uh, a little bit more about that tech or, or yeah. Yeah, so so one yeah. person I would really advise you to, add, uh, to invite mm-hmm. is... Uh, Eric Slats. He is one of those persons uh, who, uh, who he he completely radically innovated course designs at Fontes ICT, Fontes ICT, and has uh, well in his small, of course, uh, sub industry, a uh, big big fame for for what he has done. He has so many lessons from not an edtech perspective, but he works a lot with edtech, so he sees the other, but, but at least from an educator educator perspective, uh, I would definitely advise him. Uh, He's from the Hogeschool. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll make yeah. the introduction, Peter, uh, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Yeah, It's yeah, a yeah. really cool person to talk to. I think I heard his name once. I, I, w- I would love to uh, invite a couple of, um, uh, yeah, also people from, from high schools, uh, higher education uh, on the podcast to hear their point of view and, and, and also what needs to change and what are the blockers and how can we uh, have more collaboration. So uh, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, and then, yeah, last question. We always have a little bit is what, what happens if you would be ministry of learning and not education? We, we, we think it should mm-hmm. be ministry of learning. What should you do? And then what will you do in the Netherlands if you would have that role? Difficult question, maybe. Tremendously reduce the barriers to innovation and really allow for uh, understanding 
that the current quality measures that we have. Yeah. If you want to, if you if you don't want to move because you're afraid of of not improving uh, of, of degrading learning design. I mean, let's be honest. For the majority of learning experiences here, there is just it will be harder to make it worse than yeah. to make it better. So uh, I would say let go of the fear of, of making it worse uh, and, and give the freedom, give more freedom to experiment and innovate because um, there's a lot of opportunity to make it better. That's, I would say, the, 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 that would be my uh, quote if I would be heading that uh, department of learning. And I, I love that you indeed call it uh, learning, Peter. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I just wanted to have said this. I, I've, I think I'm, I'm such a big fan of what you're doing here. Uh, this is so important. We, we should really connect as at tech founders here in the Netherlands and as, 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 as community, we should create an ecosystem here because there's a big opportunity, uh, I would say, to do so. And that will benefit everyone in the, in, in the sector. That's one thing, Peter. And the other thing, I just wanted to really give you a compliment on what you've done with Growth Tribe because I use Growth Tribe a lot to compare, um, to, make, to make people understand how important learning design is and how important that growth mindset that you have really encoded in, in, in Growth Tribe is. So I just really want to make that. Compliments. Yeah, well thank you very much. You know, thanks for the compliments. I, I always, uh, but we, as you said as well, thanks for that. But we are also at the beginning of uh, a <laughs> trap as well, but also with Dutch EdTech, uh, like there's a whole EdTech sector uh, learning, making sure that people get access to learning, everybody equal opportunities, everybody has opportunities in this fast changing digital world and and, and um uh, yeah. but also improve quality of learning and make sure that with learning we change also uh, problems in the in the world and 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 yes we are in the beginning um, but we need to do it together so uh, i hope with this podcast people enjoyed it, the conversation and learn a lot from uh, feedback fruits and what your point of view is and uh, what i would love to do is like let's say maybe in six months we do part two because I think we, we definitely have a lot of other topics <laughs> still that we can uh, uh, discuss. And maybe then it's more a discussion together. Uh, but thank you for the time. And thank you for uh, teaching me some new stuff uh, about this whole sector where you're working in. So amazing what you guys are doing. So yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Peter. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for the time.